0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host,
1: Pete Mekaitis.
0: Hello, and thank you for joining us here for episode 112 with Dr. Jenny Brockes. Dr. Jenny is a expert when it comes to the brain and what makes it work well. So you're going to learn, one, characteristics of the high-performance brain, two, why you should give your brain permission to wander, and three, key habits for daily optimal brain performance. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep112. And while you're over there at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of the cool resources from the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course about slashing waste out of your work week or the Gold Nugget email summaries, which have guest insights in quickly digestible emails or other cool stuff over there at awesomeatyourjob.com. So here's Jenny's story. As a medical doctor, speaker, and author, Dr. Jenny Brockes is passionate about all things brain. Her mission is to become the Jamie Oliver of cognitive health, empowering others to create their own high-performance brain that is optimized to help them work at their best. She works with those who seek to thrive in our increasingly complex world by translating the complexities of neuroscience into easily understood strategies that can be readily integrated into our busy lives. Here's Jenny. Jenny, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you, Pete.
0: Well, I'm so excited to dig into so much of the good stuff that is covered in your book, Future Brain. And boy, it's so thorough. So it seems to me, you would know better than I, it seems quite comprehensive on what constitutes a high performance brain, which is a term you use often. Could you kick us off by saying, what do you mean by having a high performance brain?
1: It's really using our brain in the way it was designed for so that we can optimize how well we do our work. And when people sort of start talking about high performance, sometimes I think they get a bit worried. They think, oh, you mean I've got to be Olympic standard or something like that? And it's not that at all. It's really about recognizing how to work at our own personal best. It's not about being the best. It's about just, you know, working to your true potential, I guess.
0: Okay, certainly. And so I'm curious, like in the literature, or the studies or experiments, how do you sort of determine if a brain is a high-performance one or not so much?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. If only there was a little app we could just quickly (laughs) download just to sort of check in. How am I going? And it's interesting actually because that's actually coming quite soon. But I digress. So how do we know if, if our brain's working all right? I think it's just that sense of... I think you know when everything's sort of in place and you feel comfortable and confident that everything's just working out well for you. It's when it isn't. It's when you get that sort of frustrating feeling that there's so much going on and you don't feel like you're on top of everything and it's running away from you and you're a bit stressed out and you just know that you're not working to your very best and you know that there's other things going on that are holding you back. So really. High performance brain is all about recognizing what is sort of getting in your way. What obstacles have we got that we've got to overcome, which may be external or things that we are actually doing ourselves that actually reduce how well we think and operate on a daily basis. Because my interest is in cognitive health. You know, we talk a lot about physical health and we know that's really, really important. And we talk about mental health and, yep, that's really critical too but how often do we investigate the condition of our cognitive health? And cognitive health is really how well we think because it incorporates how we learn and how we remember and how we utilize our mind in our daily activities.
0: Okay. So intriguing, and I know exactly what you're saying with regard to, you know, what's those days where I feel like I'm kicking butt and I'm on top of things and Mm -hmm. rocking, and then days Mm -hmm. where I am not so much. (laughs) Yes, So could you maybe kick us off by sharing some research or studies that kind of highlight some of those connections between, you know, great brain health indicators and doing well at job or cognitive tasks?
1: Okay, I guess a lot of the research initially that I looked at was in the arena of cognitive health associated with the, the aging process. I mean, I'm an MD, I'm a medical practitioner, so my background was looking after people's health and well-being. And I was particularly interested in addressing some of the issues that people were experiencing as they matured and noticing that their memory wasn't as quite as sharp as it used to be. And and sometimes, you know, actually developing problems such as Alzheimer's or different forms of dementia. So a lot of the research sort of started investigating, well, what's going on in the brain here? What can we learn from this? And certainly, I think the critical concept that has come out of all the neuroscience over the last three or four decades has been the understanding that we have this massively plastic brain. Plasticity implying that it's moldable or malleable, so we can literally... Rewire our neural circuitry, and because we have this magnificent brain with these highly developed frontal lobes which enable us to think about our thinking, we can actually drive this plasticity to our own advantage by our choice of focus so Although initially a lot of the research as I say was looking at sort of oh what's going on in the brain? you know why are we all sort of losing our marbles as we get mm. older <laughs> the Realization was, well, of course, it's looking after the brain across the entire lifespan. So, you know, how we help our kids to maintain better brain health and how we maintain that during our working years is critical too. So, I think it's the understanding that we have this plasticity available to us and just remembering that we're human. I think so often we drive ourselves so hard because, you know, we want to do well, we want to do our best. But we sometimes push ourselves almost in a way that we're treating ourselves like a machine, and we're not machines, we're human. And we have to go back to the basics of remembering we've got certain physiological requirements. So, better thinking comes from paying better attention to our brain and starting off by addressing those basic things like, you know, how much sleep are we getting? How much exercise are we doing? How are we eating? How are we managing our stress? Because all these things, these fundamentals determine how well our brain is set up. And the studies have shown that, especially if we want to maintain our brains as we get older, the earlier we start to pay attention to our brain's physiology or the hardware, the better we are placed to ensure that we are going to have the ability to use our brain in the way we want it to work for longer as well. So a lot of the research has looked at what we can do to maintain our brain. And I think the exciting studies that have come out <laughs> there's one called the finger study which sounds a bit strange but it was because it was done in finland so it was the finnish intervention okay. um has <laughs> has clearly identified that better thinking starts with addressing those lifestyle choices the things that we all know about we've been told for years and years and years and years you've got to do this you've got to do that and then in our state of perpetual busyness We don't prioritize them, we overlook them, or we defer them, or we believe we can do without addressing them. And of course, we're essentially shooting ourselves in the foot by doing so.
0: Certainly. And I want to dig into a little bit about what you said in terms of, you know, we're humans, we're not robots, and we can drive ourselves too hard. What are some of your findings in the research associated with, you know, how hard is too hard, or how long is too long when it comes to working, thinking, concentrating on a given task? And when it comes mm. to sort of breaks and rest and what's a good amount of challenge and activity for the brain versus going too far?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing is we're all unique. We're all different. So it's not sort of one rule applies to all. We will have to recognize how our brain is designed to help us work at our best. So what works for you may not work best for me, but although we can accept some underlying principles and when we say sort of how long is too long or how hard... The research has clearly indicated that you know the way we pay attention or especially focus attention relies on us having enough mental energy to use our frontal lobes, especially the prefrontal cortex and our working memory. And this is a highly energy-dependent area of the brain. And really, we're only designed, you know, from evolutionary terms to apply our focus attention in short, sharp sprints. So Mm. rather than sort of thinking, right. I've got a big day ahead of me here. Let's crank it all up and just dive straight in and just work and work and work and work and work and work. Now, there are those times where you get lost in the flow and isn't that wonderful when it happens when everything's just swinging along and you lose all sense of time and everything's just falling in place and that's great. But the rest of the time when we've got a trillion and one different things to get done during the day, what we tend sometimes to do is to think, right, Just batten down the hatches and just keep working hard through all of them continuously until we can tick a few things off our to-do list. And that's actually working against how the brain was designed to work. So if we, I think, just prioritize maybe two or three things, which are the most critical items to be addressed on any given day, highlight those and determine which one you're going to do first, and then allocate yourself a certain amount of time to spend working on that task. Now, and that's where it comes back to the individual differences because, and also the individual day, because I'm sure you've had the time where there's sometimes it's quite easy to allocate 45 minutes or 90 minutes to a particular task and you just get on with it. And other times it's a bit of a struggle to go that long. So it's about, again, working with your brain and recognizing what's actually going on inside your skull and thinking, okay, if I've been working hard for 45 minutes to an hour, It's probably time to just take a little break because we are exhausting our brains energy levels quite quickly. And the temptation is to continue on pushing through, especially if you're nearly there and you think, Oh, you know, it's five o'clock and I really would like to get home on time. So I think if I just push on and do another 20, 30 minutes, I'll get this done. Yes, it's tempting to do that. But in fact, we might be better off to take that short break. Now, how long you take that break for again is up to you. Ideally around 15, 20 minutes, but even if you just take a five to 10 minute break, it just gives your mind that time to reboot, refresh and re-energize so that when you come back, you're feeling much more refreshed and able to say, right, now I'm ready to nail it and just get the work done. They've shown that, you know, once we've worked sort of beyond eight hours a day by adding on an extra Four hours, five hours. I mean, some people work incredibly long hours. We're actually getting less and less efficient. And that's why I think we're sometimes seeing different companies around the world now experimenting or trying out shortening working hours. Now, I guess they've also got a different agenda here sometimes too, because they're saying, well, we don't want people wasting time. We want them to be sharp and focused. So let's get everybody doing a six hour workday. And that's it. And I think because, you know, they're saving money, because if you're not paying people to be there beyond that time, obviously, that's an economic decision. But it's not necessarily allowing people to work at their best, because unless you give your brain a few little breaks during the day, the research shows that, you know, productivity falls, efficiency falls, and we're not doing our best work.
0: Oh, thank you. And I was going to ask, you know, for those very intervals, there is some variability, you know, brain to brain, Mm. but you're Mm. suggesting that somewhere in the 45 to 60 minute window is about right for our brains designed for sprinting followed by a five to 15 ish minute break to recuperate for the next sprint.
1: Yeah, that's right. And what people often say, well, what should I be doing? You know, I say, you know, give your brain a break, give your brain a break, we all need a break. And they said, what should I be doing in that break? And I said, well, anything that doesn't require a lot of focus, because you've just been applying that focus very you know, attentively to the particular work you've just been working on. So now it's time to pull back. And this is the time to maybe get up and have a stretch, maybe walk to the water cooler, grab a coffee, have a brief conversation with a colleague, but you don't want to be immediately going on to more heavy focus work. So sometimes I get asked, well, is this the time I should catch up on emails? And I think, oh, well, you could, but ideally not. Because you know, for me, dealing with stuff like that is class B or class C mental activity, but you're still engaging your brain at that certain level. So really, you're trying to literally uncouple from your focus just for that brief time get up and just go outside for a five minute break. Do anything that's different that doesn't require you to be focused on anything in particular if you can.
0: Okay. So the key then is any number of things might work so long as it's not a intense piece of mental focus. I guess I'm wondering, is there like an opposite of mental focus, like complete mental... Rejuvenation, scatter, non-focus.
1: <laughs> yes, there is.
0: What is that called? Yeah. What do we do?
1: Well, when we go offline, when we sort of, you know, we go into this sort of mind-wandering state, and that's wonderful, especially if your type of work requires, uh, you know, a high degree of creativity or novelty where you've got to come up with new ideas and stuff. Trying to use your focus attention all the time is counterproductive because you're only allowing your brain to follow one route. And really, we've been designed to have two different routes available to us. And the second route is this sort of subconscious linkage of making new associations work together. And to achieve that, we need to allow our brain to mind wander, go off down the little rabbit hole or something. So taking time out to sometimes think about our thinking, because mind wandering comes in two different flavors as well. There's the mind wandering that you're not really aware of, and your mind's going all over the place, but you're not conscious of it. But we've also got this sort of conscious mind wandering where you actually allow your mind to disappear off, but you're following the trail, if that makes sense. You're following the breadcrumbs. And that is sometimes really helpful to sometimes go, oh, it helps us to make those new associations and come up with greater insight. And the one thing that we're often missing in our busy workday is time out to think. And I think what we can do to help ourselves there is to stop, the you know, press the pause button on being so busy all the time and book an appointment And again, it doesn't have to be a particular brain break, but you might just decide, okay, how am I going to set up today? I need to just think about things for a while. So press the pause button, shut the door, switch off the mobile phone or switch it to silent just for a moment and just take that little bit of time out just to pause, reflect and allow yourself that deeper inward thinking time. Because that's the time where we sometimes come up with our insights and reflections on what's working well, where we need to go, what else we need to do, who we need to be talking to. So that thinking time is really critical. And if we miss out on it, then we're just sort of skimming around superficially doing our busy tasks, but not necessarily reflecting on how well we're doing those busy tasks or allowing ourselves to come up with those new and exciting ideas.
0: So that deeper inward thinking sounds like it takes some effort as opposed to being, you know, rejuvenating from a break context. So are you saying that those are different? Okay, good.
1: They're slightly different animals. Yeah, the Mm. brain break is really just to take time out, just to stop. Whereas the thinking space is that time out where you're using your thinking, but in a looser, less focused way, just to pause and reflect and going deeper. People talk about the need for greater critical thinking and really we achieve that by stepping back and just sort of contemplating our navel, for want of a better word, just to allow ourselves to sort of re-take that deep dive into checking out, well, how are things going here? Am I on track? What else do I need to be doing?
0: Okay. So to recap, if I'm looking to do some sort of brain rejuvenating in an optimized fashion via conscientious mind wandering, yes. do I just let my mind do anything at all? Like, oh, there, I can see someone through the window right now and she's got a hair clip. It's kind of shiny. and It's reflecting. <laughs> Is that all I'm doing? Just letting it do whatever? I'm not sure that's terribly useful. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: You never know what that hair clip might inspire. It is allowing yourself to take that little break and just sort of stop consciously thinking so hard when we're giving ourselves a brain break and allow yourself just to wander off. Lots of people find, I think, that sometimes our best thinking or our best ideas come when we're not fully focused and we don't have to be at work to notice when that's happening. And I don't know if this is something that you've experienced yourself, but sometimes when we're exercising, if you're going for a run or a jog or you're down the gym and you're just. You know exercising away, your mind's quite busy during that time. But sometimes it's actually clearing your mind and it's really a good time to think, oh, yeah, all of a sudden that little thought pops into your head and you think, oh, yeah, got it, got it, got it. And if you're not exercising, sometimes we might be relaxing, just sort of sitting in the park, just quietly, just enjoying the quiet and listening to birdsong. I mean, being in a green space or a blue space where there's water around is actually really inspiring and motivating to us to help us come up with our greatest ideas at that point too have you ever had that
0: oh yes certainly thank you and that's good so i just really want to make sure we zero in on if mind wandering it's more so maybe it sounds like you're saying just not putting a whole lot of effort at all into what my brain is doing And so it might drift over to the hair clip, but I need not, you know, ponder the hair clip. I just like, I noticed that, then I noticed something else and then I noticed something else. Then it's fine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's the art of noticing. I think, you know, we're living in a world where we've become so intent on filling every nook and cranny of our waking day, sort of looking at something, but not necessarily noticing what else is going on around us. And I'm, I'm talking here about, you know, our engagement with our technology as soon as we finish doing a particular task, we're often checking our email, you know, updating our newsfeed and things like that. And we're constantly engaged with screen time. And unfortunately, that sometimes means that we're not getting the bigger picture that's around us. So I think taking time out to notice what's going on in our environment is really, really important. And we do that by putting everything down and moving away from it.
0: Okay, thank you. Well, so now we talked about the break time well, and now you've actually delineated 12 factors that impact brain (laughs) health. So Mm. we don't have time to hit all 12, but maybe you can share with us of these, you know, which one or two or three do you think can give us the most brain performance boost, you know, per, Mm. I guess, unit of effort that we have to exert to get it. And so what are like the No-brainer, absolute uh, (laughs) (laughs) no-brainer.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. Well, number one, I guess, would be being sufficiently physically active during our day. We know that exercise is good for our body. It's incredibly important for our brain's function as well. And a lot of research has indicated that too much sitting is actually very detrimental to our bodies and our brains too. research from Mayo Clinic sort of related it and said, you know, sitting is the new smoking, which is terrible. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. not good for brains. Because when we're sitting for prolonged periods of time, obviously, the blood flow towards the brain is being compromised, you're not getting the same level of blood delivering the oxygen and the nutrients that the brain needs. And so we'd be stagnated, essentially, in our thinking skills. So sitting for too long, especially, is particularly unproductive. And I think the message about the need for greater physical activity is starting to really permeate and be more broadly accepted in the workplace, which is great. I mean, the, the type of work we now do obviously has changed enormously over the last few decades. And of course, that has contributed to why we're sitting so much more. So it's making a conscious choice to say, am I physically active enough in my working day? Now, I'm sure you've probably heard, you know, the need for 10,000 steps and a lot of people use these fitness trackers to, you know, am I moving enough? And while aerobic activity is the gold standard for priming the brain for better performance and aerobic being huffy puffy, let's get the heart rate up. So you're, you're, you're breathing rate up and things like that while 20 to 30 minutes of aerobic activity is what they say primes the brain if you do the exercise especially early in the morning that gets your brain ready to work better for you during the day it's what you do during the rest of the day that also counts and what's really helpful is now the understanding that all physical activity contributes to this so while some people you know are gym junkies you know they love exercise it's not an issue for them a lot of people you know they're time poor they've got difficult schedules, you know, getting out and doing the exercise is a challenge for many people. They don't like it, you know, they're allergic to lycra or whatever. Um, it's understanding that just standing up helps to improve your level of attention and alertness. So, you know, stand up for your brain. And that's why, you know, we, we now see the introduction of these variable height desks.
0: I'm using one right now, talking to Aye. you. And wonderful,
1: standing. Wonderful. I'm glad I was standing. standing for this one. Aye. Last one I Excellent. wasn't, to be honest.
0: Oh, there you
1: go. <laughs> because it changes so much. It changes how well we breathe. You know, it changes how well we think. And people find it easier to concentrate when they're standing. But, you know, standing for prolonged periods isn't necessarily good either. Some people get back And that's why the variability is so useful. So you can sit for some time and stand for the rest and it works perfectly. So it's what works best for you, but also looking for opportunities just to move around more. So standing meetings have become increasingly popular. It's great for making meetings actually more useful because so many people hate meetings because they just think they're a complete waste of time. So stand up meeting, nobody wants to stand around for too long. So it keeps the meeting nice and short everybody's paying better attention. And if you've got an agenda worked out, hopefully you can make the meeting work for you. And a lot of people tell me that walking meetings are now being introduced more often too. And that's useful if you're having a one-on-one where you need to have you know, a deeper, more meaningful conversation with a person, getting together and then going for a walk, grabbing a coffee if need be, and just having a chat. Has been shown to really enhance what you get out of that conversation. So, you know, standing in a meeting, walking in a meeting, all these things are helpful. Choosing to look for the opportunities to stand up more for our brain. And, uh, you know, it could be while you're on the phone, while you're on a conference call, while you're doing a podcast, (laughs) all these things. It's about taking the opportunity to stand and move more during the day. And so that is the number one tip. The second one is to get more sleep. Okay. We are in such a sleep deprived state so much of the time, a lot of people have forgotten what it's like to have a good night's sleep. You know, people are perpetually tired and we think that, you know, we've got so much to do. So the temptation is to stay up late, to do a bit more work or to get up early, get into the office nice and early so we can do more work there, more work, 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 work. And so we're shaving off time when we could be at home resting and asleep. And why do we spend a third of our lives asleep? Because what the research tells us is the critical time for consolidating all those long-term memories that our brain wants to keep for the longer term. It's important for deepening our understanding of all the information we've been taking in. It's critical for emotional regulation. And I don't know if you've Have you got children paid?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember, I'm thinking thinking about my mom. Okay. When I was in a mood as a child, that was her go-tos. It's like, when was the last time you ate and how much sleep have you had?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If we're sleep deprived, we're a bit cranky, we're a bit irritable, and we're certainly not thinking at our best. And the first thing that goes is our ability to pay attention and our concentration Our ability to learn information and retain it for longer starts to diminish. It's been shown that if we are consistently getting sort of less than sort of five, five and a half hours of sleep every night, we're not only building this chronic sleep debt, as it's called, our brain starts to do weird and wonderful things. We start to create false memories, which could be rather tricky. You know, this is where you think. You've done something or completed something or sent off an email, but you haven't. You know, your brain's created these false stories that you believe are true. So sleep deprivation can start to do weird things to us. And it's also been shown to really muck up our entire system. There's a lot of very interesting research looking at the effect of Working shifts, and there are an awful lot of people around the world who are employed and they work nights or they work you know quite complicated shifts, so you know they're working at different times and it's working against our circadian clock and causing a bit of mischief there. so getting enough sleep is important, and how much sleep do you need? Well again, it's an individual thing. The average person requires seven to eight hours, so if you're consistently getting less than six. cutting yourself short. And I know a lot of people you know, in our busy work days will often during the week not get enough sleep and then try to catch up on the weekend. But it's not always easy to repay that sleep debt adequately by just a couple of lines on the weekend. And of course, if you're going to bed at a different time, that again mucks up what they call your sleep hygiene habits and can contribute to poor sleep patterns. I think being too busy makes it harder to go to sleep. And so many people say, Jenny, you know, I'm so tired and all I want to do is just crawl into bed and go to sleep. And as soon as their head hits the pillow, it's the brain sort of going, oh, good, party time. And then starts thinking about all these things that we haven't completed thinking about properly during our day. And this is where exercise and taking proper brain breaks during the day can actually really help us to get better quality, less interrupted form of sleep. So sleep is really important. And the last little thing about why we need sleep is the time when we take out the brain's trash. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, it's important to, you know, (laughs) declutter, get rid of the rubbish. And sleep is the time when we have this beautiful system set up in our brain where when we're lying on our side, the spaces in between our neurons open up. They're called glymphatics, And we get this sort of sloshing of cerebral spinal fluid, sloshing through, hosing out all the metabolic waste that builds up during the day so that we wake up in the morning with a nice clean brain. And uh, one of the researchers I was reading some papers on described it like the filter in a fish tank. If we don't keep our filters clean in our fish tank, then the fish tend to die. So, So if we think of our brain requiring sleep, In the same way, we need to sleep because it's the filtering process that's required to keep our brain really healthy and in tip-top shape.
0: Oh, thank you. And I want to follow up on that phrase you use, time poor. I enjoyed in your book, you mentioned a point that really resonated, how if you feel as though there's more stuff to do than you have sort of the time and availability and resources to mm. do, which is, I think, a maybe ubiquitous state of mind for many people, mm. then that in and of itself is detrimental to your brain's performance. Can you elaborate on that a little bit?
1: It really just adds to our existing stress levels. I mean, stress is a normal part of life and brains, but if we're getting this sense of time, poverty, and we've got this drive, this inner drive, we've got to get there, got to get there, got, get there, got there, it's just adding to that stress. And as stress elevates we start to diminish how well we think because our limbic system of the brain becomes hyperactive and the amygdala that's associated with that starts to generate more intense negative feelings, particularly fear or anxiety. And as the level of intensity of those emotions rises, our ability to access that lovely prefrontal cortex, our executive suite of higher level thinking, you know, logic, analysis, reasoning, etc becomes reduced. And it's a bit like if you get into an argument with somebody, you know that, you know, if you're having an argument and you're going tick, tack tick, tac tick, tac and the emotions are rising and you're going to oh, somebody's going to explode in a minute. All of a sudden when they do and they lose it, they're being driven entirely by that emotion and their ability to access their prefrontal cortex is gone or lost temporarily, and it occurs too like if we're in a stressful situation like we're about to go and sit for an exam where you you know you've done all the prep, you've done all the study for it, and you go in, you sit there, you turn the paper over, and you think, "Oh, my mind's gone blank, I can't think of a single thing, and it's because you've got that degree of stress which has sort of reduce your capacity to think at that particular point in time. So when we're under time pressure, especially, that just adds to our stress. So we become more emotionally driven and less able to access our prefrontal cortex. So it's about knowing how to regulate that. And interestingly, the more we engage with our technology, the greater that sense of time poverty. It's a bit weird, but uh, when we engage with our technology, it does actually speed up how fast our brain is working, and that's probably quite helpful. But it also adds to this sense of time poverty. So if you're feeling time under you know, under the pump all the time, just take a you know going back to the breaks again. Just move away from the screen just for a little bit of a time, because it actually helps to restore that sense of how much time is really available to us, and enables us to then think, okay, maybe I have got a lot to do in this certain time frame here what's the best strategy to get this done rather than going into a blind panic and not being able to sort of cope with it as well. Does that make sense?
0: I hear you. Yes, thank you. Oh, good. (laughs) And so I'm curious, in the world of stress in your studies, have you discovered a number of really just powerful sort of stress-busting approaches?
1: I think one of the biggest stress-busting approaches is to choose to uncouple from our focus, you know, take time out just to stop Thinking so hard all day long. And the other thing which has become increasingly popular is to become more mindful. And this is harking back to that noticing more, taking in the bigger picture of things, because it keeps things in better perspective for us. When we get sort of mired down in all this stuff going on and problems and challenges my daughter, of course, sees the, you know, our first world problems and she rolls her eyes mm-hmm. at me and says, mom, first world problem, you know, when I'm complaining about something and I think, ooh, she's quite right. And you step back and you just think, okay, let's get real here. You know, how important is all this? How can I sort of readjust how I perceive these items? You know, if we treat everything as important and urgent, then it becomes a complete mess. It's about really sort of stepping back and saying, what is appropriate here and developing that skill set to be more mindful, just noticing what's appropriate at this given moment is really liberating. And a lot of people now practice mindfulness meditation, as it's called, or different forms of meditation. And I think it's not a panacea, but if you're into exploring it and giving it a go, it can be a fantastic way just to quieten down and still that Noisy mind that we work with the rest of the time, just to it's about sort of clearing the brain fog. That's how I see it. It's just taking that time out just to allow things to go still, because then all of a sudden you regain that clarity of thought rather than getting caught up in that state of perpetual busyness. I know Steve Jobs. The late Steve Jobs was a meditator. He meditated for 45 minutes every single day. And he's quoted as saying, you know, when you steal your mind, you can see things so much more clearly. And I think a lot of other business leaders and CEOs have found the same thing. But it's not a panacea. It's not for everyone. Not everybody likes meditation. And I don't think it should be forced on people if they're not into it. But I think it's finding what works for you to allow your mind to quieten down. So if it's mindfulness meditation, so you're in the present moment, so you're not worrying about what might happen in the future or what's already happened in the past, that can be enormously powerful. And mindfulness meditation and different forms of meditation have been explored by the research. And it's really quite extraordinary the benefits that this practice imbues on our cognitive health and well-being. It not only helps reduce stress it hones our attention. It enables us to regain our imagination, be more creative. It helps us with our sleep patterns. It influences us down to the levels of our chromosomes. So it enhances our physical well being. We don't get sick as often. We recover from illness more readily. We, we cope better with pain. I mean, you know, the benefits of this type of practice are almost embarrassing because the list is getting longer and longer and longer. So it's really about knowing how to quieten down your mind and using whichever strategy you like or enjoy. And sometimes it's about having a smorgasbord or a couple of different things to choose from, which you engage on on a regular basis. It's about making this part and parcel of your daily schedule to get the best benefit from it. So for people who practice mindfulness, for example, I mean, some people will do a 45 minute practice and good on them, but for other people, that's too much time. They can't allocate. But 10 minutes has been shown to have a positive impact. And we all have 10 minutes out of our day. We all have 10 minutes. So it's what works for you and deciding what you're willing to have a go at and putting in the practice to make it a create the habit. Because once it's a habit, it becomes an automated behavior. You don't have to think about it. It's just something that you do as part of keeping your brain really in tip-top shape so that you can bring your best self to work and life every single day.
0: Oh, well, thank you, Jenny. So tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure that you cover off before we shift gears into the fast faves?
1: There's probably a lot else we mm-hmm. could talk about, but I'm pretty happy to leave it there except to maybe mention mental flexibility and change ability because I think what I'm hearing a lot about in my work in helping people in the workplace today is managing the huge amount of change that we're experiencing as a society and in the workplace at all. And this is leading some people to feel a bit overwhelmed and a bit fearful. And I think it's important to recognize that, yes, things are changing fast, but we do have this amazingly plastic brain that is changing in response to what we are experiencing. And rather than being fearful of it, if we can step back and adopt the mindset of it's normal to experience a little bit of angst, a little bit of, ooh, I'm not so sure about this, and then to be curious about it and to explore it, because then that allows us to engage in, ooh, this is actually quite exciting. Maybe this can really make a difference. Maybe I can do things differently. Maybe this is an opportunity to get better at what I do in this particular task. So it opens us up to boost our performance.
0: Mm, excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, so now could you tell us about a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
1: I think one of my favorite quotes is from Maya Angelou, where she talks about the fact that it's not what we do or say, it's how we make people feel that makes the biggest difference to us. That's one of my favorite quotes. Oh, thank you. I don't think I said it quite right either. But mm-hmm. anyway. <laughs>
0: It's all good. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a piece of research in all your work?
1: I think one of my favorite studies, just because it was a bit quirky and a bit different, and it was the response of the people involved in it that made me smile, is the work by Gloria Mark. Now she looks a lot at the impact of technology and engagement in the workplace. And she did a study where she forced people to not use their technology for something like five days. And the resistance that she met, people were saying, "Well, you can't expect us to do this. It's going to be terrible." Anyway, they did eventually comply. And what was interesting was, at the end of the five days, people felt better, their blood pressure dropped, they felt far less stressed, and productivity had gone up. And for me, that's a favourite piece because it's again, it's the reminder that you know we are human, and if we allow ourselves just to remind (laughs) us, just remind ourselves from time to time that you know this normal to take a break, to disengage from all our technologies and just relax and do other things that actually we perform better. We do better overall. Yeah. So it's one of my favorites. It's a small study, but it's one of my favorites.
0: Oh, that's cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite book?
1: Oh, favorite book. I think the one book that really started me off on my journey into finding out more about neuroscience was Norman Doidge's The Brain That Changes Itself. I thought that was such an amazing book. And it's a book that I've read several times and I'll probably read again and again, because to me, that just sort of highlighted the fact that we do have this remarkable organ, the human brain, that is capable of so much and that we're really only just starting to scratch the surface of understanding of what we're truly capable of. Oh, thank you.
0: And how about a favorite tool, whether that's a product or service or app or thought framework that helps you be more awesome at your
1: job? For me, it's my mindfulness app. As a doctor, I was very good at telling other people what to do. (laughs) and I'm not so good at Mm -hmm. doing it myself. It wasn't until I actually went off and did what's called the MBSR course, which is the Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction course that was pioneered by Jon Kabat-Zinn back in the 70s, that I really realized the impact that mindfulness could have on helping me be a better person in what I do and how well I think. So for me today, my app that I use on a daily basis to enable me to engage in my mindfulness practice is the critical tool for me. This is called Headspace.
0: Oh, gotcha. Thank you.
1: It was put together by Andy Puddicum. He's got this marvelous English accent. I just love listening to his voice. And I think with any app, especially if you're listening to a guided meditation, you've got to like the person's voice. But I can just listen to him forever.
0: Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite habit? Or is it meditation as well?
1: No, it's not actually. It's being outside, going for a walk, with our two dogs. That for me is something I look forward to on a daily basis. It gets me outside. We live in a beautiful spot close to the sea, but we've also got beautiful trees around us as well. And it just makes me feel good. I love that. That's my sort of half an hour, 45 minutes of bliss.
0: Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite sort of nugget, a quote or something that you share that really seems to resonate with people in terms of getting them nodding their heads and taking notes and saying, you know, yes, you're brilliant. (laughs)
1: Oh, I wish, I wish. <laughs> well, I, you know, when I talk about, you know, give your brain a break. And I think sometimes you know, that's often in relation to monotasking and things like that. So avoiding multitasking because we're asking our brain to do something it wasn't designed for. So I think, you know, just give your brain a break is one of my favorite quotes.
0: Well, thank you. And what would you say is the best place if folks want to learn more, see what you're up to or get in touch with you, where would you point them?
1: Straight to the website, which is simply drjennybrockis.com. So it's D-R for doctor. And then my name, dot scom
0: Oh, excellent. Thank you. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue forth to folks seeking to be more awesome at their jobs?
1: I think it's all about looking for what's next, staying curious and standing up for your brain.
0: Mm. Thank you. Well, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you taking the time and digging into some of the research behind the common sense and putting more of a point to it. This has been a treat and I just wish you tons of luck in all your work.
1: Thank you so much, Pete. I've really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Once again, it's encouraging to hear the importance of sleep because I love it so much and it's easy to make excuses to skip it, but Dr. Jenny Brockus would not approve. So If you want to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items that we mentioned here, you'll find that over at com slash ep112. And I encourage you to push the subscribe button if you haven't already. So you'll hear from our next guest. It is Jamie Newman, host of the Your Best Manager podcast. Hope to catch you then.